Good morning. Welcome to all those joining us for Likutei Halochas. We're continuing in Halochas Avoidas Elilim, Halocha Gimel, paragraph Chofalif, all the way towards the end of the Halocha. And we dedicate the learning today, Lilo Nishmas Tuvio Brav Yisrael Yitzchak, Yerachmiel Daniel Ben Gedalia, and Rosevas Itamar. And also for a complete refuah shalema for all those that need it, including Chaviva Chana Basgalia, Rus Alexandra Esther Chaya Basluna Patricia, Mazel Bat Zahava, Leirena Bas Aviva Chaya, Jonas Ben Hilda, Shirad Voira Bas Miriam, Avigail Brocha Bas Shirad Voira, Soraleya Bas Chavaliba Shimon Zvulun Ben Soraleya, Yosef Avram Eliezer Nisim Ben Pesia, Boruch Mordechai Ben Tali, Yitzchok Ben Fega, Idis Bas Miriam Brindel, Yehuda Ben Soramaya, Chaim Ben Rachel, Tuvia Tzvi Ben Chaya Eliza, Eitan Yoel Ben Edna, Asa Ben Yehudis, Shemel Eliezer Ben Rochel, Avram David Ben Chana, Hindachasa Bas Chana, Besoich Shar Choli Yisrael. Rav Nosanzal is giving us now these appendixes, short appendixes related to what we've been learning about throughout this halacha. We find when, when Amalek comes to attack B'nai Israel when they leave Egypt, and Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to write this down, put this in writing, and give it over to Yehoshua. The fact that Hashem is doing battle against Amalek from every, in every generation. So Rav Nosanzal writes here now, Zikoroin hubebechinas hamedame. The concept of remembering something is associated with medame, of as Rabbeinazam speaks about this in chapter 19 in Likut Imran. Hainu birur hamedame. It means clarification of medame. When a person wants to remember something, sometimes a person makes codes or different things to be able to help them to remember things. And, and by, by remembering, by, by thinking about a short item, it can help the person remind the person of a much longer item. This is associated with this concept of medame, comparing one thing to another. And Rav Zal says what we've been learning about here till now is also related to the mitzvah of reading the Torah during the weekdays. The Gemara and Halacha tell us that you're not allowed to take out the Sefer Torah to read if you're not going to call up at least three people. And for each person that's being invited up to the Torah, there must be at least three psukim read. All of this is in order to defeat the medame and to rise up to sechel, which we showed in the previous shir, that sechel is comprised of three different aspects. Shem sechel bekoyach, the sechel bepoyal, and sechel hanikna, the three types of sechel that Rabbein Azal speaks about in chapter 25 on Likut Imran, which this halacha is based on. 
And this is why the entire Torah is, is related to the number three, the three sections of the Torah, Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim, Kamoshomaru, and as the Gemara says, Brich Rachmana, Blessed is Hashem, who gave us the Torah, which is in three parts, and he gave it in the third month of the year, Nisan Ir Sivan, and he gave it <coughs> through the third, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the third child of, of, his, parent, of his parents, etc. And so too, the Gemara tells us that when the Jews were traveling in the desert for a period of three days without reading the Torah, they became very tired, weak spiritually. The Tiknu and, and Moshe Rabbeinu and Ezra Sofer established a Takona, made an edict, that the Torah should be read. We should not let a week go. We don't read the Torah only on Shabbos, but rather we read it also on Monday and Thursday, so that there are never three days going by without a Torah reading. And all of this is in order to defeat the Medame, and to rise up to Sechel, Sechel, which is a combination of these three aspects that we mentioned. And this also explains why we say, Kodosh, 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 Hashem Tzvokos. Ki Sechel, Mikro, Kodesh. Because Sechel, Chochma, is referred to as Kodesh. There's a posuk, Kodesh Yisroel Hashem, Reishis Tivuosoi. The Jewish people are holy Tashem. We are his first crop. The term Reishis, we know, is usually associated with Chachma, Reishis Chachma. So Reishis and Kodesh go together. You have also Kadesh Li Kol Bechoyer. Sanctify the Bechoyer. The Bechoyer is the firstborn, Reishis, again. That the Reishis, the Chachma, the Seichel, is called Kodesh. V'alkein yesh sholosh kedushos. And this is why when we proclaim Hashem as Kodosh, we say it three times. Kodosh, Kodosh, Kodosh. Bechinas kedushas haseichel. Alluding to the holiness of the, of the true intellect. Shekolo misholosh. Which is comprised of three. Shehem, which are once again. Seichel bekoyach. Seichel bepoyal. And Seichel hanikne. Which we spoke about in the previous year. Now, Rabbi Nosson gives another example, another thing related to this, that it says in Doniel, when it speaks about the future, when it speaks about the coming of Moshiach, it says, Idon ve'idonin uplagidon, that there'll be a time and there'll be times and a half a time. This alludes to the concept of time shrinking. That when Mashiach comes, there will be revealed a very high level of Seichel. It says, that when Mashiach comes, the world will be filled 
with knowledge and recognition of Hashem, and we learn throughout this halacha that the higher the level of seichel, the less the time. The lower seichel, the longer the time. Like when a person's dreaming, that in, in a sh- what's actually a few minutes can feel like years, a lifetime. Or small children who have little seichel, to them, what's actually a few minutes, to them it could feel like hours. Because the more we reach higher and higher levels of seichel, the time becomes less and less. Ad moyed moyadim vachetzi, shemishneizmanim yenasizman echod. That from two different from moyadim, two different times will become one time. Moyadim will become v'yacharkach yala leseichel gavoya yoiser, and then we'll rise up to a higher level of seichel at sheyismayet yisbatel asman yoiser, where the time will become shrunken further down at sheyekol asman bechinas vachetzi to the point where all time will feel like half, like half the time. And then Moshiach will come, Moshiach is going to be the one who will achieve an incredible, such a high level of seichel that it'll be completely, completely above the concept of time. You remember we spoke about time being within the seven lower midas of Hashem. Chesed, Gvura, Teferes, Netzachoid, those seven lower midas correspond to the seven days of the week, the seven years of a Shemitah, the, the time configuration that's used in this world. When we go above those seven, when we go to Chochmah Bin Adas, we go to we go to Chachma Seichel, we're going above the concept of time. And Moshiach, who will achieve the highest level of Seichel, he'll be above Lamala Me'azman Bishlemus. Ayin Hetei B'Simen Samach Alafanal, study carefully chapter 61 in the second half of Likut Yamaran, which Rav Nosazal referenced earlier, V'Havein Hetei, and you'll understand very well this concept of seichel and lemala miasman. Now Rav Nosenzal gives us another example. Paragraph of Gimel, v'zeh b'chinas isur chonets. This will also explain why during the holiday of Pesach we're forbidden to have chonets she'ikar ispoi alidei hazman. What makes something into chonets? Time. Time. We're not allowed to allow the dough. When we prepare a dough, we're not allowed to, to, to leave that dough still by remaining still, not being worked on for a certain period of time. If a certain period of time passes by where the dough is not being worked on, then it becomes chametz. Or when we want dough to rise, Again, to become chametz, we, we wait. We're waiting a period of time. As it says in the Torah, that the reason why they ate matzahs was because the dough that they had taken out of Egypt, it didn't have time to rise. 
to become fermented. Because they couldn't wait around. They had to rush out. When we speak about chametz being forbidden, what it means is that we're not allowed to, to, to for that dough to, to have too much time. Because if we allow the dough to stand there for a certain length of time, then the klipos, the sitrachra, can attach themselves to it. Because they are working within the, the framework of time. And the main way that we defeat the sitrachra, the klipos, the tumon, is when we reveal a level of sechel that decreases the time and elevates everything to above the concept of time. And that's what really was brought about the redemption, the Jewish people getting out of Egypt. Which took place in a rush, in a hurry. They couldn't wait. And Hashem also rushed it. He rushed the Geula. He jumped over the actual time when they were, the Jews were supposed to be in Egypt for 400 years, and Hashem jumped over that date. He jumped back to 190 years. He took us out after only 190 years. I'm sorry, he subtracted 190 years. We left after 210 years. All of this is examples of less time, shrinking the time meaning going above time, not being bound by time, being able to override the time or shrink the time. Now, Rabbi Nassim has one final touch, paragraph of Dalit. All the way at the, at the end of Megillah Sester, we're told that as a result of the miracle that took place, they established, they documented that the Jewish people will observe these days of Purim, regular Purim and Shushan Purim, at their proper times. Note this, which teaches us that the miracle of Purim, the defeat of Haman or Russia, and Mordechai Tzadik being so successful, as we learned in the previous year, is a, a form of repairing the times. That we're taking the different times and elevating them to above the concept of time. Through the correction of the Medame, the Tikkun of the Medame, that we accomplish on Purim. Because the whole concept of time really applies only within the framework of medame, which means this world, oilam hazeh, the, uh, uh, the lower levels of seichel. That's where time exists. That's where this medame exists.
Baruch Hashem. This was a, a long halacha and not so easy, based on chapter 25 in Likut Imran, this topic of medame and seichel. And again, a person will learn this again and become more familiar with the chapter in Likut Imran, it'll become clearer and clearer. Any questions, please? Some reason I cannot get to it. If you can, if you can repeat the question that's in the chat, please. How does this relate to the sixth day of the seven beggars, the tree that's beyond space and time? And then it says a little holding much. Yeah, that's another example of a discussion on on this topic, where Rabbeinu Zalver refers to. He shows us that the concept of time is associated with gashmius, with with physicality, with materialism with this world, this lower world, and that the more we go to spirituality, the more spiritual we go, the more we go above the concept of time and above the concept of space. We know that Eretz Yisrael is called Eretz Hatzvi. And the Gemara says one of the reasons why it's compared to a deer is because of the, the skin of the deer, the hide of a deer. When you remove the skin from a deer, you look at that piece of skin and it, it, it can't imagine how it was possible for this, this small piece of skin to stretch and cover the entire body of the deer. So th this is an example of this concept of, and the Gemara says, so too Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael seems to be a small country compared to other countries, and yet Eretz Yisrael stretches to accommodate its inhabitants. The Gemara tells us that during the time of the Beis Hamikdash, there were tens of millions of Jews in Eretz Yisrael. And the Gemara says in one place, one of the rabbis said, what are you talking about? This city where you're telling me there were so many Jews, you couldn't put so many reeds there even. And the Gemara says, you're right. But if and when the Eretz Yisrael becomes more populated, it expands. So we see, and in Eretz Yisrael, you have the city of Yerushalayim, where the, the Pirkei office, it defines Yerushalayim, that no person ever said, I don't have room in Yerushalayim, I don't have a place to sleep in Yerushalayim. Meaning again, that Yerushalayim is this concept of lemalam in amokayim. And when we speak about the Beis Hamikdash, it says that the Jews would come to the Beis Hamikdash on Yom Kippur, and they would all bow, they would bow down like we do in Shul today, by Koyrim or Mishtachavim. And there were hundreds of thousands of Jews in this small area, and each person had a beautiful area around them to be able to bow. And when we speak about the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, they were told that the Oroin, the Ark that had the Luchas in it, existed in zero space. The Gemara shows the calculation in the beginning of Baba Basra, how big the, the Kruvim were above the Oroin, and the Oroin was between them, so that the Oroin existed in zero space. So 
again, this is a concept in Kabbalah, in Hasidus, and Rabbein Azal, Rav I'll speak about it several times, that the holier, the higher the level of Das, the less constriction in any way within space and time. The, the, the person or the holiness goes above the concept of time and above the concept of space. Anyone else, please? Now we begin a whole, an entirely new topic. Hilfus Ribis, the laws regarding charging interest for a loan. We touched on this earlier. <clears throat> I'm sorry, before we close, Rav Nosanzal writes, Hilfus Avodizora Halacha Dalid, the fourth presentation of Rav Nosanzal on the topic of Avodizora, Nichleles Behilfus Yayinesech, was included in the, the laws of Yayinesech, Halacha Dalid, paragraph Yud Gimel. Now we go into Hilchas Ribis, Halacha Aleph, Inyan Ribis, the topic of interest, Shelfidas Hehemoin, Hu Hefechasvara, whereby regular people find this not so logical, the Torah's law regarding that you're not allowed to charge interest. Because it would seem right, it would seem proper that if somebody lends me $50,000 for six months or for a year, I should have to pay that person something, some reward for waiting for his money. Because of the fact that the, that person's money was not working for them. They could have used that money for themselves during that year-long period to make new money. However, the fact is and the truth is that the Torah forbids a Jew to charge money for, for, for lending their money to someone else for a period of time. And this isn't just a, a, a prohibition. This is something that is very, very strictly forbidden in the Torah. And the Torah tells us a person who charges interest for a loan, it's as if they're in complete denial of Hashem. This first halacha, Rav Zal obviously wrote during Rav Zal's lifetime. Because we find in Rabbein Azal's teachings in Likutei Moran, that all bounty that Hashem sends to a person comes from the nefesh, which is usually associated with female. Bechinas raglin, the feet. We know that when we speak in terms of Kabbalah, we're told <clears throat> that, that Hashem's name, Yud Kevavke, represents all ten spheres. The Yud is Chachma, and the Koitzei Shel Yud, that small line in the Yud, is the Keser. Then you have the Hey, the first Hey is Bina. The Vav is the spheres of Chesed through Yisoyed. 
those six midas, and the last hey is malchus. Malchus is the lowest one of the spheroids. <clears throat> Very often, we look at the first three letters of yud kevavke, the yud hevav, as being the male, the zohar. The last hey, the malchus, is the female, the nukva, referred to as the nukva, referred to as the nefesh, which is the lowest part of the soul. We speak about the soul, we use the term nefesh, ruach, neshama. The neshama is associated with chachma and seichel. The nefesh is referred to as the lowest aspect of the soul, which is associated with the malchus, which is associated with the nukva, the female, which is associated with the bottom of the feet. We picture the ten spheroids as the structure of the human body. The, the Chachma Bin Adas is in the, in the brain, the head, the Chesed is the right hand, Gvur is the left hand, and so on and so forth, so that the Malchus, the female, is associated with the bottom of the feet. I am the Maimar Gzela, Simon Samartes. Rav Nosazal says, take a look at chapter 69 in the Kutimaran, where Rav Nosazal makes these associations there. When Ruvain lends money to Shimon, he's actually acquiring Shimon. Shimon is becoming Ruvain's servant or Ruvain's slave. As the Gemara says, that a borrower is a servant to, to the lender. Because the borrower's body becomes indebted to the, to the lender. And when this borrower becomes indebted to the, to the, to the lender, meaning, again, his, his whole self, the whole person, now is indebted to the other person, so automatically, if I am that person's servant, then everything of mine also becomes, goes into servitude for that person. Because by the borrower receiving money from the lender, and thereby he becomes a servant, a slave, and becomes indebted to the to the lender. The loiva becomes eved. Through this process, he becomes like the wife, like the nefesh to the malveh. As the Pesach says, when a person will acquire a slave, acquire a servant, it's called nefesh, you're, you're acquiring the nefesh. Meaning that when a person acquires a, a slave, a servant, he's acquiring that nefesh. As we find by Avram Avinu and Sorimenu, when it speaks about the fact that they made other people religious, they took people who didn't believe in Hashem, didn't know anything about Hashem, 
and they brought them close to Hashem. They got them to accept upon themselves the yoke of Torah, the yoke of mitzvahs. So the Pesach says, The nefesh which they created in Choron. Pirish Rashi, and Rashi says over there, Avodim This refers to the servants and maidservants which Avram and Sarah acquire. The Korah And note the Torah uses the term nefesh specifically. Because the main thing that's being acquired is the nefesh. Because since this is called a financial acquisition, I'm acquiring, I'm buying this person. So that person becomes part of my nefesh. Because as Rabbi Nezal explains over there in Likutim Ram chapter 69, all of a person's possessions are part of the person's nefesh. They're connected to the person's nefesh. And so to this borrower who has become indebted to me because I lent him money, he's indebted to me, he's my Evet, he becomes part of my nefesh now. And as a result of him becoming my servant and slave, so to all of his possessions, which are part of his nefesh, his nefesh became part of my nefesh. Everything that's part of his nefesh becomes part of my nefesh now. Because all of the possessions of a person are, are part of a nefesh, part of what make up the nefesh of a person. So therefore, once this borrower has become indebted to the lender, meaning that the borrower's nefesh has become part of the lender's nefesh, he's become nefesh to, to the lender. Therefore, automatically, all of the possessions of that borrower and all of his wealth becomes now, is brought into the possession of the lender. Because as we said before, all of a person's possessions are this aspect of nefesh. And this is why the rabbis in Shulchan Aruch Right in chapter 66 in Choshen <clears throat> If I have a document that says that Shimon owes me a hundred dollars, I have a star from him that says I, I Shimon, borrowed a hundred dollars on this and this day from Ruvain for three months. I can sell that star to somebody else. Somebody is willing to give me $90 now. 
I can give him, sell him that star that in three months he'll be able to collect a hundred dollars. So the Shulchan Aruch says, and then I decide to be Michael. I decide <clears throat> to forego the loan, to forgive the loan. Machul, it's forgiven. Ein Shom, take a look in Shulchan Aruch where it writes about this. When a person lends money to somebody else, to the borrower, the main thing is that that borrower's body becomes now indebted and subservient to the lender. And it's only because the person has become indebted to me that his possessions become indebted to me. And once we understand that the lender has acquired the nefesh of the borrower for that three-month period, for that period alone, so if that's the case, the lender is receiving something major for the fact that he borrowed money to that, he lent money to that person. Because Ruvain lends $100 to Shimon. Shimon's nefesh now becomes part of Ruvain's nefesh. And we know that all, and all of Shimon's possessions become part of Ruvain's nefesh. So Ruvain's nefesh has become much bigger. And now Ruvain can receive a much larger amount of bounty of Shefa from Hashem because he's got his own nefesh and now he added another major nefesh to his own nefesh. He's like a double, a double nefesh. He called nefesh yesh shefa shalmomim. Because as Rabbeinu Sal explains over there in chapter 69, every nefesh has an allocation of money in heaven that's allocated to that nefesh. That's why it's forbidden for the lender to go ahead and charge interest since the lender received a major benefit during that time period of the loan. Meaning, this flow of money, this flow of wealth and bounty that the lender receives from Hashem as a result of the fact that his nefesh increased in size. By lending money to this other person, that other person's nefesh has become part of my nefesh, and now I can receive the, a much larger amount of shefa from heaven. And this is why the Torah says that this is very, very strictly forbidden. Because if a Jew charges interest, that's something that the Sitrachra can attach itself to and draw tremendous strength from. Because the borrower, Shimon, who borrows $100 from Ruvain, is called a Balchoy, a person who has a debt. And we know Rabbein Zal shows us in chapter 23 in the Kedimran 
that idols <coughs> are called choiva. There's a pasuk in Chumash where it mentions a location called choiva, and it says this is a place where they worshipped idols. <coughs> idols are referred to, Avodah is referred to as dead, choiv. And this is why Rabbein Azal stressed to us that a Jew should try their best to avoid borrowing money, to avoid having debt. But at least if a person does have to borrow money to make sure that they're borrowing it within the framework of the laws of the Torah. Whereas when a person commits a sin, a violation in, in the lending or the borrowing of the money, which means that interest is being charged, then what happens is that the, the sitrachra, which is this aspect of choiva, which is avodazora, attaches itself in a big way to that person's possessions, because the Sidrachra has power. They become empowered from debt, and especially when there's interest on it on the debt. And this is why the Gemara says that a person who charges interest is considered like a person who is in denial of Hashem. Which means idol worship. <clears throat> because a Jew must believe that all of my money, all of my profits and everything is only from Hashem. And if a person believes that their profit, their money comes from above, such a person will not charge interest on the loan. Because the person understands what we've learned here, that when I lend money to somebody else, they're getting the $100, the $1,000, I am acquiring their nefesh. They are becoming my eved, which means their nefesh is plugging into my nefesh now. And now my nefesh becomes much more powerful. My nefesh has the ability to draw a much larger and better shefa from heaven. So who's doing who a favor? Who's benefiting more? The, the lender or the borrower? Just like when it comes to tzedakah, the Gemara says, a person thinks he's giving the poor man $100 Wow, he's really owes me a lot. He owes you a lot. You owe him much more. That he gave you the incredible benefits of, of and the rewards that a person gets for giving charity. That's stucker. But here, Rab Nussens, I'll explain the how both parties benefit when a loan is being given. Baruch Hashem. Any questions, please? Good morning, Rab um, just a couple of things to clarify. So sometimes people approach me and ask for you know a long-term loan, aka Tzedakah, I'm not going to be paying it back. With this, with this in mind, is that not a good thing? You mean a person asks for a loan 
but really they don't have that much of an intention of returning the money. Yeah. The answer is in such a case, it should be stated up front. If you know that that person is not in a position to return the money, and then they're probably not going to be in a position to return the money, if you choose to, to, to lend them that money, you have in mind that it's not a loan, and you make it clear even that if you'll be able to return it, fine. If not, it's okay. You know, because without that, that, sorry. without that being said, when a person borrows money indefinitely, when a person borrows money and there's no date or time when they're supposed to return it, and they don't have an intent to return it, that's called stealing. That's stealing. That's not charity. That's stealing. So it's got to be clear. Both parties need to be clear. Is this a loan or is it a gift? And, you know, and if it's a loan, loan means it's got a timer on it. Thank you, Rav Can Rav address the idea of borrowing money to travel to Rabenuzov? The answer is, again, it falls under the, the, what, what we just said. If a person is borrowing <clears throat> money for any mitzvah, if they're borrowing, they must have a clear intent and plan as to how they intend to give it back. If not, they, they shouldn't call it loan. A person can say, I need help. I really need help. I don't have the money to perform this mitzvah. Could you help me? And then if you choose to give it to them as a loan, you say, I'm giving to you as a loan. If and when you will be able to pay it back, I expect to have it back. Or if you can give it back with, you know, before next Rosh Hashanah or before, you know, before Sukkot, you know, I expect to get the money back. Thank you, Rav Nassim. It seems though it's advantageous to, to lend people money appropriately because of this expanded nefesh, but, but we're saying that there's very tight boundaries to this nevertheless. There are benefits involved. It is a mitzvah in the Torah, and we just had, we just passed Rosh Hashanah, of, we, we just completed a Shemitah year, and Shemitah is unique in that if a person has any loans that they lent money to somebody during, you know, during the Shemitah year, before the Shemitah year, when the Shemitah year finishes, those loans are canceled. So we, we, we there's a, the Hillel Azokin gave us the concept of a prusbul, where if a person writes a prusbul, which means I'm giving over all my loans to the Besden, Besden has the right to collect loans, to collect loans, even, even, even with Shemitah. Shemitah does not cancel a loan that Besden has. And in the principle, it's written down that if Besden chooses to make me their agent to collect the loan, then again, the laws of Shemitah don't apply. Shemitah will not cancel the loan, and I will be allowed to collect that loan even though the Shemitah year, you know, passed it. So it's brought. Now, now if I didn't make a principle, or once, once Rosh Hashanah is over, at, at that point, at, at, that, or in the, at that point, or after the principle is written, if I lend somebody money at that point, I, the principle doesn't work. It only works regarding loans that were done up until when the principle was written. 
So there are rabbis that recommend that after the principle is written, to approach somebody and say, here, I'm lending you this shekel. I'm lending you this dollar. And the person says, when do I have to give it back? And then the answer is, no, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking for it back. And, and the person tries to offer it back. And the person says, no, no, I'm not collecting it. I'm showing that I'm observing the laws of Shemitah. By doing that, by not asking for that loan back, I'm fulfilling the law of Shemitah. And again, there are cases where a person is building a shul or a person is doing a project where the, this project will, or a person is, is opening a business and they're doing it with sound reasoning, you know, with sound reasoning, where it seems that this business does have a good potential to make profits. But in order to start a business, a person needs seed money. A person needs, in cases like that, a person, you know, many people have to come on to a loan. So in situations like that, it's a mitzvah. It is a mitzvah to lend money, to help a person, because in many ways, that's bigger than a gift, because it's, it's the concept of giving a person a fish or, teach, or giving them a fishing rod, which, which is bigger, you know, by, by giving the person this loan and this loan being able to help them establish a business or buy a car, let's say, that they're going to use to give people right, you know, to, 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 to make money. This type of thing is, a, is in some ways, we're going to see a higher level charity than Stucker even. What if the borrower is a major Talmud Chacham? Is this a good idea? The answer is, <clears throat> if he's also religious, meaning if he's a person, unfortunately, it's, it's a test. It is a major test when people borrow money to, to remember to return it and to be very, very meticulous about knowing when it needs to be returned and, and in doing what, what's, what's necessary to return a loan. Or if chas v'shalom, the time comes when the loan is due and the person doesn't have the money yet to make sure that the lender doesn't have to approach the borrower to say, where's my money? You were supposed to, but rather the borrower goes to the lender and says, you lent me money. I know I'm supposed to give it back tomorrow. Or I apologize. I don't have it right now. I'm not forgetting about it at all. I'm doing A, B, C, and D which I hope will give me the money to be able to return the money that I borrowed from you. Anybody Rabbi? Yes. I, um, uh, I remember reading, I think Rabbeinu uh, says that there's, uh, there's certain averas, but he never make a person a ball hold. It was Is there any like Breslau or tradition what that those certain averas are that it is? I've asked that question. I don't recall right now. I believe <clears throat> that it's not so apparent what it is, but that there is a place where Abnasanzal alludes to something that could be that type of sin, which, which causes a person to get into debt and, and not to be able to get out of it.
Okay, we'll just begin the next halacha. We'll do the 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 kutimran piece of it. Halacha beis al pi hamaymar tzivisot tzedek. This halacha is going to be based on chapter twenty three in Likutimran, which is possibly the major chapter in Likutimran where Rabbein Zal discusses the topic of money, the positive aspects and negative aspects. Emalon mili dechdivi. The wise men of Athens said to Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, tell us something that's not true. So he said to them, Havalon Kedenaisa Vyolda. There was a mule that gave birth. The Kedenaisa Miyolda, can a mule give birth? That's an example of something that's false. And Rabbi Nazal says over there, Kikel Acher is Staris Perin, because idols. Sitrachra is sterile and cannot bear fruit, cannot produce children. And this is an example of something that's false. Sheker. Sheker is the sitrachra. Sheker is something that cannot bear fruit. And Rabbeinus Al explains over there, those people that fall into Taivas Mamun, where they're chasing money their whole life, running after money, 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 that, that becomes their religion, that becomes their obsession, and they never have enough. Rabbi Nezal says it's, it's a complete lie. Because these people spend not eight hours a day, but 16 hours a day chasing the money, and it looks to them like because they're putting in this extra time, they're making more money. But it's not true. They're not really making more money. I'll say, study that entire chapter on the Run, and it'll be a strong base for this halacha. We'll hold it over here for now. And tomorrow, Monday, is the day before Erev Yom Kippur. Rav Rosenfeld's wife, Rebetzin Rosenfeld, passed away on Yom Kippur. And because you can't go to a cemetery on Yom Kippur, and, and even Erev Yom Kippur is a very difficult day for that kind of thing, I'm hoping to go tomorrow morning in Yitzhashem. Not sure of the time yet, but it's possible that we may not have the shear tomorrow morning. We'll make sure to notify everybody to see whether we'll leave for Harazesim right after Shachris, or we'll possibly have the shear and leave for Harazesim right after that in Yitzhashem. Wishing everybody a wonderful day and a, a good Gebensh year, a year full of bracha and simcha and hatzlacha of every time in Yitzhashem. Good morning, Rabbi. Yes. Is, is there time for a quick question? Yeah, go ahead. On the topic of Tavat Mamon, we all go to work and we all need money to a certain extent. How do we know that we're not crossing the line and that we're having Tavat Mamon? We do have a desire for money, but what makes it uh, a, a Tava? Just a moment. I'm going to read from that chapter on the Kutumran, chapter 23. <clears throat> There's a place where Abenazal gives a, a very sharp definition of it. Just a moment.
Yes. I'm reading from the first paragraph in that chapter 23 in the Kutumran. Those people who fall into Taiva Smomoin. What does that mean? The Enom Ma'aminin Shahakudishbohu Yochoilafane Sesodom Besibokawa. They do not believe that Hashem can provide for a person easily, easily. They don't have to kill themselves. They don't have to do crazy things. They don't have to put their life in jeopardy, you know, in order to make money. They chase their parnosa with major, major struggles, you know, doing, going way above, way above the standard effort, putting standard effort in. They're putting in crazy amounts of effort, whether it's in the amount of time that they put into it or the, the ridiculous, some of the absurd things that people do. And they, they eat their bread with depression, with sadness, meaning they're never satisfied, never happy. Even when they make money, they don't say, thank you, Hashem, or they don't say, Baruch Hashem, I had a good day today. I made some money. No, no, I could have made more. I should have made more. I should be doing better. That, that's, that's a major part of how Rabbi Nezal defines the negative aspect of Taivas Momoin. It's a concept of a person never feeling satisfied or appreciating what they have. And at the same time, doing, going way above and beyond the norm in their, in their quest for money, that kind of thing. If a person is not doing those things, a person is allowed, a person is allowed to go to work, a person is supposed to work, but to know that one of the reasons we're going to work is because there was a curse that was issued to Adam and Chava as a result of eating Eitzadas that there's going to be, we're going to have to go to work. But not to assume that the amount of money that I make is dependent exactly by the amount of time and effort I put into my work. To know that there's a much bigger factor that determines how much money a person has and to what degree they're able to pay their bills and be able to provide for their family. And that's the Hashem factor, that the, the, the bounty, the money comes from Hashem. I'm doing this because we're, we're in this physical world and, and Hashem is hidden in this world. And for many people, Hashem is not willing to show openly how he's giving, he's the one giving the money. So he hides it in a job. He hides it in a business. He cloaks it in that. But never to forget that the, the, the Hashem factor. So that again, in order to earn a living, I don't go to, I don't daven, I don't daven with a minion, or some people don't daven at all. Or chas v'shon, don't keep, you know, some of the laws of the Torah. I don't wear a yarmulke, I don't, you know, doing all kinds of different things, going above and beyond what a person should be doing, you know in order to provide, in order to earn a living. Beautiful, thank you. And once again, in the Likute Tfilos, that chapter, this chapter on Likute Tfilos is one of the major, major places where this is discussed. And the Likute Tfilos on this chapter and the Likute Alachas will make it more and more clear. Oh, Yes. Can I ask you a quick tikkun question? Tikkun. 
Let's see. The tikkun question is: We know that it's a major benefit to go to Uman for Rosh Hashanah, because you get your tikkun. So my friend says, when you come back, you, you see a lot of interesting situations, but you also see a lot of challenges uh, because you have to do things in, because of your tikkun. So I just wanted to ask the Rav if you could elaborate on the fact that some people have. Uh, interesting challenges when they come back. This is something that Ravenazar writes about in several places on the Kutumaran, and it's a major discussion that, that tshuva means going up and coming back down. It's a two-step procedure. The going to Uman or, or anything like that, the, a Jew going to shul on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, everywhere in the world is a concept of the going up that we're being more religious, we're spending more time in shul than we do on, on another day, and we're doing more, more kavana in the davening, that's all the concept of aliyah. After an aliyah, there's, there's usually a yerida, and the yerida means, the yerida manifests itself in different challenges that people experience after coming out of that, coming out of Rosh Hashanah whether it's a health challenge, a person gets sick, whether it's challenges in Parnassa, challenges in Shalom Bayis, different types of challenges, which means that the person is coming back down because the person achieved a tremendous high. They connected to a place where the Sahara couldn't touch them to a large degree. But you, as long as you're living in this world, you can't stay there. You have to come back down. And when you come back down and the Yitzhara sees, oh, look at this guy. This guy just went to, to Puerto Rico for a vacation. This guy just, you know, and, and he's all rested. Good. Now it's my time to start punching him, to start beating him up. This person just went to a tremendous high Baruchnius. Now that he's coming back down, now I can really attack him. That's what happens sometimes. Person has to be expected and be able to take it the right way. Usually, the, the right way to take it is to be quiet, not to complain in any way, not to be negative, whether it's a personal issue or if it's challenges with people. Again, not to be upset at them in any way, to know that this is part of, this is part of completing a process. The tikkun means the complete repair of a person, which requires this double punch the going up and coming back down. That's what they're referring to, I believe. Thank you, Rav Nassim. To deserve to see Moshiach today, put an end to all the, all the, all the suffering, all the trouble. Hopefully we're getting closer to Moshiach, getting closer.